So our lineup's a bit different this week. Justin's at HashiConf, and Javon's still isn't back from Strange Loop. But we're joined today by Chuki Chan and Kate Houston from Technically Speaking. Hi guys, would you like to introduce yourselves? My name is Chuki Chan. I am an Android developer living in Colorado. And when I don't write Android code, I actually do a lot of different things. I am running a newsletter called Technically Speaking with Kate, which we share on pretty much once a week about conferences, which conference is looking for speakers, and we will share links about how to become a better speaker. Uh, my name is Kate. I'm a software developer. I'm currently of no fixed address, so I kind of roam the world writing iOS code, amongst other things. Um, I'm also an advisor to Glowforge. Um, they just announced their like pre-sales, so you should totally go and buy a Glowforge because they're super cool. And uh, like Chuki said, we run this newsletter together, which um, I like to think with a mentor that shows up in your inbox each week and we're like, you have something to say, here's where you might say it, and here's some things that might help you. So no fixed address, uh, where are you right now? I got back to the UK from Berlin yesterday and I leave for New York tomorrow morning. Oh wow, very cool. Yeah, I was uh, going to stay in Berlin and then I was just like, I need to go to the gym and be near a washing machine, <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i came to like the gym and uh yeah everything seems more possible now so what prompted you to have this nomadic lifestyle oh uh, well um about a year ago i like quit my job gave up my apartment really all the kind of aspects of a responsible adult life and just kind of ran away uh what <laughs> so <laughs> a year ago you you quit your job and got rid of your apartment and started a nomadic lifestyle yeah, so um, like in the fall, I traveled for a bunch of conferences and then I spent some time in Romania. And then I spent January and February living in Berlin. Um, I spent April and May kind of living in South America. I've been kind of mostly in Europe, although kind of August through October, I don't really know if I'm in Europe or North America because I just keep going back and forth. I want to ask an extremely boring question that is logistical of what do you do about mail? Like um, the IRS, I just how do they that, find oh, you? Um, so everything, so I am a, have an incorporated company and everything goes to my accountant. Um, but most mail is not important anyway. So I just assume that it's not. Or um, I could just get it sent to my parents' place. And then every so often I stop by, like, you know, like today for the washing machine and the gym. And then, uh, you know, if there was mail, maybe I would read it, but probably I wouldn't. Nice. If I if I could generally free myself from mail, that would, uh, you know, be pretty great. I think like but. mail was honestly the least of it. So I find that to be like a very interesting question. But I think the the, the US is much more paper based than maybe like other governments. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I mean, like there's things where like if you if you move apartments, you'll get you'll get you'll, if you get a parking ticket. And like the parking ticket gets, you know, washed off in the rain and you haven't updated your address, then like you can get like, you know, all these fines and then ultimately a bench warrant because you didn't pay a parking ticket because it went to your wrong address. These are the things that I have, you know, anxiety about. Yeah, I so. mean, I don't think cars really work well with this kind of international nomadic lifestyle. Maybe a more like local True. based nomadic lifestyle, a car would be really useful, but uh, I don't really don't really worry about parking tickets too much. I do have a friend currently living in a van, so that is 
that that would be a question. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I um, I kind of, I quite like those whole tiny houses thing. Like, I think it would be very cool to live in a shipping container, or like maybe two connected shipping like, containers. You know, and you could, um, oh, those are you know, your home would be kind of portable. Uh, yeah, I do think those are really interesting. They've done some neat art projects with them. Yeah, I think portable tiny houses are, are really cool. I just don't understand the people that live in a tiny house and like in the middle of the woods. Why wouldn't you just give yourself more house? But a movable yeah, house well, seems cool. The other thing of why I roll my eyes at, we, I feel like we might have ranted about this on the podcast before, but like I love tiny homes, but I hate them because they're a bourgeois way of saying mobile homes. You know, if you want somewhere to live that you could hitch up to a truck, there's a thing for that. And there's like whole, there's whole communities that are based around this already that are not, you know, but they just, you won't see them and dwell, you know? <laughs> so it's like GoPros. They're like selfie sticks, GoPros are, but they're like socially acceptable because you've bought this like separate device to be your selfie stick rather than like. It's true. You know, GoPros are just this selfie $10 sticks. thing. They are. They're the like original socially acceptable selfie stick. Definitely. So what's your biggest revelation from your traveling lifestyle? Um, I just like finished this project last week. So I was trying to my, find 10 men in the tech industry that I didn't hate. And so three continents, I finally found 10. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Have you published the uh, a piece on that yet? Or is that coming? Yeah, no, I put a blog post up today and I like released a Storify and stuff. And um, so that was pretty cool. Um, so I met a lot of interesting people. Um, I think the main thing that I've realized is that I could probably live just about anywhere, which makes it even harder to decide where to live than previously. What do you look for in a place? Um, I like places to be walkable. Um, and I believe in like quality of life metrics, right? So being able to, I mean, if you have like a, any kind of office, being able to walk to it, being able to walk to the gym, like the grocery store, sushi restaurants, um, kind of cost of living relative to kind of salary, um, international airports. These are important to me. The international airport should not be accessed by a single lane highway. It should have a real road. So that ruled out Ottawa. Um, I lived in Ottawa a while ago, but that's why I probably wouldn't move there again. Um, then there's like, you know, the nice to haves, like there's a particular iced tea shop that I really like. And I mean, I could live without it, um, but it's definitely, it waits, it waits in favor of certain places. Um, I like, uh, I like about like a 20 degree weather. So at least some of the year I'd like to have like weather that I like. Um, yeah, that's kind of it really. So Chuki, let's talk to you for a little bit. I saw that you recently worked on a project on making better diversity at an Android conference in New York. Yes, I did. Well, I guess recently is relative because the project started way back in March. Um, so the conference is DriveCon New York City, and it happened end of August. And what happened was basically... I've been following kind of the conference scene, if you may, and noticing that a lot of the conferences, the organizers would say things like, oh, we try to get more diverse speakers, but uh, just didn't happen. And I have been wondering, is it really difficult? Because I've been giving conference organizers a hard time, but I have not actually done it myself. So back in March, I decided that I'm going to try to pick a conference and try to encourage as many women as I can to submit and just see what happens. And it was quite a lot of plotting because what happened was I 
well, pick an Android conference because that's my field, but I don't actually know a lot of women in Android, sadly. So it has been quite an exercise to just rally everybody and ask everybody to add everybody that they know and get them to try submitting. So the way it, I did it was that I started a Google Doc. It's fairly low, low tech in terms of the organization. And I added everybody and I put in, hey, we are going to all submit to this one conference. And I picked New York because that's a little bit ahead of time. It was At that point, the conference wasn't even announced yet. So I knew that I have at least three months, if not more, to get people. Um, and then I organized hangouts for people who said that they have nothing to say to come and brainstorm. Um, the interesting thing about the Hangout was that once I know that they have committed to come and brainstorm, but uh, then they actually didn't really come to brainstorm. They already had idea and just came and said, hey, I want to talk about this. And other people said, great, do it. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a large part of just people by default say things like, oh, I have nothing to say. Uh, why would I want to submit to a conference? But once you kind of plant the idea in their head, then... It's not, it doesn't take that much more for the machine to actually keep going for them to actually write the proposal um, and then submit it. Um, we also have other people commenting on the proposal themselves for improvements and um, just kind of keeping track on each other to make sure that no one misses the deadline and such. Um, and I was very happy that we ended up having 14 speakers out of 64 that are women, which amounts to about 22%. I mean, to be honest, I want a 50%, but uh, if you compare to the industry average of the number of women speaking at conferences, this number is actually pretty respectable. So I'm really I mean, did you, did you also, sorry, did you also compare to DroidCon's past years? Yeah, I did. Uh, well, which involves just going to the past page and counting heads. Um, I, I think I don't right. have the number on top of my head, but I, I think the numbers were more like, seven, six, seven, eight, nine people. I don't remember. Um, right. So in terms so you, of percentage, that's you basically, a huge yeah. You tripled it. Yeah, you essentially tripled it well, by putting in some legwork. Yeah, so yeah, it's like going from eight to 14. So whatever percentage that represents. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been really fascinating just seeing how that works. And it boils down to nagging. <laughs> it's just, um, you just have to keep telling people, like, do it, like, do it. Have you done it? Do it. Submit. This is the deadline. You don't have ideas? No problem. We'll brainstorm. Uh, which I think is part of the reason why a lot of conference organizers said that they quote-unquote tried, but then um, the needle wasn't moved um, because trying once is not enough. So that's kind of the biggest takeaway from this whole exercise. You, you just have to insist and keep trying and keep asking. I think as well, though, yeah. you like created a community around this document, and I think that was really valuable. Um, there are also, I know, like first-time speakers who submitted because of your support, so you made it seem a lot more possible for them. And also, um, you know, people could see what other people were submitting. So when they were like, oh, I don't know, somebody else can probably say that better, they can look in that document and be like, well, at least nobody in this group is submitting something like that. And they could find, um, you know, they had better information, they could find a way to make that proposal unique. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And I mean, so I guess question, how do you all feel about when people have public calls? Like when so Open Source Bridge does this and a few other conferences do this, when when you propose, your proposal is then listed publicly. So other people can search among I have mixed feelings on this, so I'm curious what you all think of it. 
Um, I personally would never have the nerve to submit to that kind of thing. Um, I don't kind of like don't want my talk to be <laughs> it's like I can just about accept that my talk is going to be judged by like whoever curates the um, CFPs but like a public process I would just like oh no you know and this is ridiculous um, kind of objectively because like my I have a pretty good hit rate on proposals I put in um, but still still it's not something that I would feel at all comfortable doing I think it also really benefits people with bigger networks um, so you see people kind of game the system to get oh yeah I mean their talks uh, have south by buzz. southwest yes I mean I would just Completely. never oh, yeah. even play that game like it just seems pointless to me um but I think as well like there's an aspect of kind of curation when it comes to putting together a good conference and I'm not convinced that like public vote actually leads to um a program that is like overall makes sense so the issue of when you have publicly listed proposals and the issue of public voting, I would say, are separate in that sometimes we have uh, often combined, but there is there are cases I've seen where you have public listing but not public voting. I still I still kind of feel the same way as UK are kind of I mean I just I have the mixed feeling about I just find it a really interesting data point that in a safe space such as that, you know, that private Google Doc, you know, network, you know, friends of friends, just, you know, all networked together, that that was a helpful place to see other topics. But in a public forum, the listing of topics and listing your topic to the public web, that that is a deterrent. I find that really interesting. And I, I don't know how to unpack that. Well, I feel like but the I, difference there is that uh, when it's a public forum, then immediately, at least what I think of first is, oh, everybody can see this and see and compare mine to others and see that mine is inferior. I, I, already, I automatically assume that the public is hostile <laughs> versus when I'm in a closed group, I assume that they're there to help me. That that really, I think, is is the difference. And I, I mean, I generally feel that way about the internet at large in general, that when you're in public, that it's a hostile space instead of a positive space. I think it's also about competing versus like an abundance mentality, right? So this like publishing of things, it, it kind of starts to feel like a competition. Um, but I was in the dark and it really felt more like, you know, hopefully we're all going to get in and we're all going to make this better together. Oh, yeah, there's yeah, a huge aspect of that that I forgot to mention. Um, yeah, that a large part of how I encourage people to submit was that I have this goal of getting as many women as possible and I need you to help me. Um, for some reason, when I phrase it as a group thing, then a lot of people are willing to step up, whereas I have done previously trying to encourage people to speak by telling them that this is great for your career, this is good for you, you will have the benefits of meeting awesome people and kind of leveling up on your own field. People somehow care less about that than joining a bigger effort that, well, look, you know, if I only have me and myself, this is not going to work. So I need you, 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 and every one of you to do this. So that was an interesting dynamic there as well. And which, of course, you know, in the public forum, there is the complete opposite, right? It's, it has a feel of like, either I get in or you get in. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, you just reminded me of there there was a recent New York Times article about a month ago about job satisfaction and that I'll drop the link to you all and that the that people they found that people no, no matter what their job was, literally any job, but 
if they didn't see themselves as part of something larger, that they were not motivated. So this goes this goes against kind of kind of you know economic or standard economic theory, kind of the most popular of rational actor that you know if if we're all completely selfish then by saying hey if you go speak at a conference you can you can make more money like you can do that like if by speaking at a conference you can set yourself up to get a, a different job make more money better benefits you know all those kinds of things uh you can you know skyrocket your career but you know i find it interesting that unless it you know so the so what like so what so so I'm going to, you know, make more money. So what? Like, what am I What am I a part of? What am I actually doing? I find that really interesting. Yeah, I, I think, think it also, also put a deadline on it. Oh, sorry. Do you want to go first, Yuki? Uh, just something quick. I also think that there is a long-term and short-term thing going on here when the goal is to short-term get this conference to have more women speakers. It's much more easy for you to visualize that. Whereas if I tell you that long-term your career will be better and you will skyrocket and whatnot the, the cause and effect is not as clear oh yeah that's a good point like a, there's a concrete measurable there's a deadline you know you know your results really quickly yeah i think the deadline is super important especially when it comes to something people are afraid of right so if i want my career to be better i'm like yeah but i'll still want like not next month and maybe this month i'll deal with this other thing whereas when it's like okay my friends and i we're doing this together and there's a deadline, you know, that means it's like, okay, I'm not waiting three months. I'm going to do it now, or at least this week. Yeah, yeah so deadline we'll... is, is so important. <laughs> it happens to our newsletter but... too. Like, since we, we're trying to publish every week, uh, if we were not having a schedule, I feel like I would have slacked off a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in, like, setting a low bar on a deadline. You know, I really believe in schedules, and this is how I run my blog as well, and, you know, it's how we run the newsletter. Like, every every week our newsletter um, is much higher than the low bar that we've set for it, but, you know, the fact that it is just like, okay, we would send it out if we only had this, this, and this, like, that really helps get started every week. There was some study where um, a professor had groups of students and they gave them options uh for their assignments uh and i think one half had had an option to uh basically have all of the assignments due at the end of the semester uh and the other one he gave the option and he said uh you know you could either hand them all in at the end of the semester or you know like one every month and most people knew enough about themselves that they took that option and they did a lot better. Even though overall it was the same amount of work, uh, people kind of put in these deadlines and succeeded because they had these intermittent deadlines. There's um, there's a book that came out not that long ago by Gretchen Rubin. It's called Better Than Before. And she talks about these like archetypes of people, right? So you have the obligers and they'll do stuff because somebody else <laughs> asked them to. Um, so maybe Chuki had some obliges when she was trying to kind of fill Droycon at NYC out with women. Um, and then you have upholders, and these are people who will do it because there is some commitment to, and it doesn't necessarily de- matter where that commitment came from. And then you have rebels, and they'll do it if it makes sense. Well, if, they'll do it if, it, if, it, if they feel like it. Sorry. And then there's questioners, and questioners will kind of consider it, and they'll do it if if it makes sense and so it's like if you know what kind of person you are you can kind of like 
manipulate yourself into getting more done. Uh, I tend to be like a questioner, but I, I mean, I wish they had talked about gender differences in this because I feel like a lot of women I know like have this, uh, we get constrained to kind of be obliges sometimes. And so I read this book and I was like, if I have any obliging tendencies, they were put on me by society. And honestly, I want to get rid of them. So I spent this whole month in May trying to like be less obliging and make, make decisions based on like, if I thought they made sense and if I wanted to do them. Um, but then of course the experiment ended and I'm sure I've gone back to being a bit more obliging. That's really interesting. So I, I, I'm glad to hear that you, so you would say you would recommend the book? Yeah, there's or... definitely, um, I would, I would recommend the book. I found it very interesting. Um, I read it and kind of think, ah, oh, I'm kind of glad this person exists and write books, but the thought of like, in, she sounds like a very stressful person to have in your life. Oh, the, the author or a, like one of the archetypes? No, the author, like she experiments on everyone she oh, knows really? and she's like, <laughs> and no, she's very much an upholder and like she doesn't come across as like that sympathetic a person at times, I think. Um, one of my oh, friends, we had this like impromptu, yeah, we had this, I mean, I think this is true about a number of people. There's plenty of people we benefit from that we wouldn't personally like to have in our lives. Um, but my friend and I had this like impromptu book club because we both read it around the same time and then we had a Skype call to like discuss the book. And, um, you know, we kind of talked about, like, Bliger and stuff and kind of skirted around this. And then I was like, oh, she sounds like a terrible person to be friends with. And my friend was like, oh, my God, me too. That's so funny because I, I was going to say that I, I listened to that. It's, when you were saying sounded so familiar. And I, I listened to an interview with her on a podcast a few months ago. And so if you if you haven't heard it, you might be interested in listening to it just because it was it's on a women's podcast and or a women targeted podcast. And so she actually does talk about the archetypes mixed with gender. So if you're interested in it, you might want to check it out. I'll I'll drop the link in the show notes. I would definitely love to listen to that. I have this feeling that a lot of women are like resentful obliges and I would love to hear how we could break ourselves free. Well, and I mean, it's one of those things that uh, I have feelings about. I mean, I'm glad that you you would recommend it, and you 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 feel like you got something out of it that you wouldn't say, you know, this is garbage. Don't read it. I've I've felt that way about books before, so that's a fair a fair triage for me. Uh, but that there is there is a difference between you know personality type and socialization. That there that is there is a very big difference, <laughs> and I mean maybe it's more subtle than than you might think. But that socialization being the you know based based on your your environment and behaviors and such uh, that you're around, you know, like femininity, masculinity what society thinks these are, these all fall into socialization. And so re- realize, re- being able to recognize kind of your, what, what, what you would actually express as without the constraints of socialization and, and recognizing, it sounds like that's what you did, is that you recognize that some of your behaviors were a result of your socialization. Yeah, definitely. It helped me do a bunch of things to kind of, I guess, stand up for myself a little more and not just kind of go along with things and be really mad about it. I don't think that's generally like a healthy way to do things. Um, And it also helped me like prioritize the things that I really find important over, you know, things I think that I should be doing. 
So Chuki, I mean, we we talked a lot about kind of well, you and Kate, your kind of your your life stuff. We talked about you know Kate's nomadic lifestyle. We talked about uh, conferences and technical speaking. But what are you all into? What are you into technically right now? What's what's interesting, or what are you excited about? Uh, so like so I Chuki? mentioned, I'm yes, I've been doing Android for quite a while now, and. Right now, my latest love is Espresso, which is an Android testing library. Um, I mean, traditionally, Android testing has been really difficult, and so many people don't even think about testing, but I feel like the tools have finally gotten to a point where it's still not as nice as doing it in Rails or, or other frameworks like that, partially because you need to run things on uh, either an emulator or, uh, or, or the real device. Um, so Espresso is a library that allows you to automate, automate things like clicks and typing and things like that and verify your UI, uh, which is a nice complement to a JUnit testing, which is just pure Java testing. Um, I started doing it maybe a year or two ago and realized that this is really helpful in terms of just preventing regression. Which I know, like people in other languages and technology has this forever, um, and I've got rediscovered it. I've been doing like Python and Rails before and doing testing pretty regularly, but in Android, this is kind of a new thing. So I've been really um, advocating for it and giving a lot of talks and writing blog posts about it. Um, and this has saved my life so many times. Maybe saving life is like too much of an exaggeration, but more like I will have a test that covers things that I think is so innocent. I will just open the app and look at the maps page and doesn't really check anything else, and then I will upgrade the maps library and then the test will fail. So it has definitely caught things that I wouldn't think it would catch, which is the whole point of testing. Um, so that has been, uh, what been what I've been very excited about, which is testing in Android. Woo! <laughs> no, that's definitely, I'm, I'm all about when we get the computers to, to, to robot things so that we don't have to check them. That manual regression testing is, I hope... It, like one day in, you know, 10 years, people will laugh about it and say, you know, I can't believe that we actually use people, people's precious time for that. So Kate, what are you, what are you up to? I have this like obsession with color and image processing. So I've been writing this app that makes these kind of cool partially colored images. It like detects the dominant color in the image. So it's like a process rather than a filter. And then it makes two is images. It, is it out yet? It's out pretty soon. I'm like so close. I just, <laughs> you know how it oh, is awesome. when you like try and balance your own ideas with like freelancing. Um, of course. So yeah, it's called yeah. Show and Hide. Um, and so it makes these two kind of partially colored images, one with the dominant color showing and the other with it hiding. So iOS is pretty close to done. Um, Android is like, to call it an app would be a little bit generous right now. It's kind of like a proof of concept. Um, I have like a lot of performance problems there. Um, but that's been super, super interesting because I, um, I ran into a bunch of performance problems. I ran into a bunch of testing problems and just kind of getting something from, you know, it had originally like the runtime was around 10 seconds and now it's it instant updates as you move the sliders. So that's been pretty exciting. It's been my like passion project since I kind of left my corporate job. Oh, yeah, actually, uh, Kate visited Denver in August when we were running the, uh, the technically speaking, in-person webinar while she's speaking at 360 IDEF. And we afterwards spent an afternoon writing tests together. I guess that's what techies do to have fun. 
It's been, it's been, yeah, we Adam, got Expresso. <laughs> we got a, <laughs> my Android app all hooked up with Expresso, so that was pretty exciting. I think it's going to really help me um, kind of improve the performance and get Android Android ready to go. Is everyone ready for picks? Let's do it. I'll go first. So uh, I'm going to pick Mirage OS, uh, which is a it it lets you create unikernels. Uh, which, besides sounding like not a real thing, are actually really interesting. And so, I, I there were a few talks on unikernels at at Strange Loop, which you know I just got back from. And Mirage OS is is a tool that it seems like most people used to do it. And you could you can update you can do things like update the networking layer in your system, and it just seems like you can get really really deep in terms of being, you know, when we talk about full stack developer, like what do we actually mean? And so Mirage OS is in, and the idea, and general idea of unikernels, I don't know if I like it, but trying to, to see, I'm interested to see what's going to come out of that space. So uh, Len, do you want to go next and then we'll do guess? Um, well, I know Chuki was stealing my pick, but... Oh, uh, well, but it's fine. Surely um, you surely you have something else interesting to share. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Stephen Colbert's new show started like two weeks ago. And my boyfriend and I's new uh, morning ritual is just to watch like all of the clips that are posted from YouTube while we eat breakfast. Is it a late night show? Is it the late show? Yep. It's the late show with Stephen Colbert. He replaced David Letterman and you can subscribe to their channel on YouTube. And it's basically like the good parts of the show. So like. 20 minutes worth of YouTube clips. I don't stay up that late. Although, wait, if you're on the West Coast, can't you watch it sooner? Doesn't Don't the late shows come at like 8 p.m. on the West Coast? Yeah, but we don't have TV anymore, so we just do YouTube the next morning. So it's like a nice uh, okay. morning ritual. Yeah. Oh, okay. Could always subscribe over the top. <laughs> uh, so, Chuki, do you have a, a pick? Yeah, the one I stole from you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got we got, we came up with it independently, though. Um, it's kind of interesting that Pam is the one who went to Strange Loop, and I was the one that was like, "Hey, my pick will be the Strange Loop video playlist." I mean, it's been kind of amazing. I think Strange Loop just happened last week, and then all the videos are already up. Um, I was there two years ago, and the talks are just mind that blows my mind because it really go way beyond I normally do day to day so it's been always fun to just watch and see what new ideas people have and and yeah to be completely honest it's not very Android heavy actually why I like watching them because I feel like it expands my horizon a little bit about what other people do in the world of tech so the playlist is pretty long it'll take a while to go through and there's uh, videos from our own Pam and I don't know if Jervon's is on there yet or if it was recorded it it might well be. I the the talks. I mean, they released Friday's talks, at least a first batch on Saturday morning. I mean, Jervon was one of the very last talks, but I think he his video might be out. I see they just they're still uploading videos like two hours ago. So yeah, they're they're amazing. They're so they're so on top of it. So Kate, do you have um, a pick? So yeah, of course I have a pick. Um, so, like full disclosure, I'm an advisor, but Glowforge started running the pre-orders for their 3D laser printer um, just like four days ago, I think. Um, so that's pretty exciting because like the website also is beautiful, but you can pre-order. It's like half off, and like they have this whole catalog of like amazing things that you can make. Um, so I'm like, I'm gonna have to find somewhere to live because apparently I need a plug. 
um, some kind of space to put it and then I'm going to just like, I don't know, build my entire um, living space based on bits and pieces that I cut with lasers. I'm pretty excited. Cool. So uh, thanks so much, everyone, for coming on. Chuki, where can people find out more about you? The easiest way is to follow me on Twitter. My handle is Chuki, C-H-I-U-K-I. Cool. And Kate, where can people find out more about you? Uh, also, Twitter's good. Um, so C-A-T-E-H-S-T-N. Um, you can also find both of us at techspeak.email, and we send out a new edition every Tuesday. The show notes are at turing.cool slash 66. Follow us on Twitter at TuringCool, and I'll talk to you guys next week. You completely used guys, despite when I said don't use guys when you say bye. Oh, no. Well, I I was not reading Skype. We talked about this. Like, yeah, you so are many... talking to three ladies and you're sad guys. <laughs> we talked about this about, we had a whole like 15 minute rant about this. And that's definitely my uh, habit um, about English not having a plural form of you. Y'all. Y'all. I or actually all, use y'all even all. though I grew up in Hong Kong. So, <laughs> folks. <laughs> I, just need, I need to move to the south for like a year or two and then I'll come back and say y'all. Y'all. Oh, y'all. <laughs> no, it, it takes a lot of effort to do it, but but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. I 